Welcome. This is the Life Habits Podcast Series, and my name is Carl Vredenberg. This is the series that helps you to learn new habits to optimize your life in this crazy world. This is episode number 111, and it's continuing the Leveling Up series, this time on the topic of career transitions. And I'm joined for this episode by Renee Albert. Welcome, Renee. Hi, Carl. Thanks so much for having me. Glad to be here. Great to have you. And also with Herman Colhoun. Hi, Carl. Good to be here. So I've been thinking a lot about career transitions, and I've posted about my journey and also recently did a keynote at a design and business conference. The feedback so resonated with people. Most people, when they start out in school or their first job, they think that it's a direct path. You decide what you're going to do, you get education in that area, and then that dictates your career from then on. Nothing could be further from the truth. I pulled the audience that I have on LinkedIn and asked them if they had actually experienced any career transitions. And fully 78% of people that I had responding had pivoted either their education or their career. And that certainly was my experience. My career trajectory includes music, clinical psychology, cognitive science, design, design leadership, executive design leadership, executive research leadership, authorship, keynote speaker, and of course, podcast host. But it's easy for me to say that career paths are often circuitous based on my own experience. However, I think it's more helpful to have a discussion with two people who have had interesting and successful career trajectories. Before I do that, though, let's explore, as we usually do, some insightful quotes about this session's topic. The first is from Ralph Waldo Emerson. Do not be too timid and squeamish about your actions. All life is an experiment. Another quote from Liz Smith. Begin somewhere. You cannot build a reputation on what you intend to do. And last but not least, quote from Warren Buffett, which is, in a chronically leaking boat, energy devoted to changing the vessel is more productive than energy devoted to patching leaks. So let's start the discussion with Renee and Herman. And let me start with you, Renee. You actually had some great quotes yourself, and I think you want to share one of them with us to begin with. So welcome and tell us about your quote. I actually have a couple of quotes okay. because, and, and it, it's a couple because as I sort of reflected on my experience, you know, sort of a couple of different things came to mind. And so one of the quotes is, accept no one's definition of your life, define yourself. But then also there's a quote, be open and accepting to change and the world will reward you with opportunity. And both are anonymous and I you know, don't know who said them. I'd be happy to credit the others if I could find it. But I do feel like they represent this arc of my life and my career to date. You know, it's 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 been a journey. Life is a unique journey. You know, it's a unique journey for all of us. And and I just lean into being authentic to myself and, you know, just having the courage to shape and define my path and my trajectory and just really not let any, you know, circumstances or, or obstacles slow me down or, or get in the way. Those quotes are perfect for the topic that we're talking about, Renee. So let's go next in finding a little bit about your current role and what it entails. Can you tell us a little bit about that? At a super high level. So my, my title is head of education experiences with the IBM design program office. And that is um, the design program 
governing body, so to speak, that's housed within the software group. But we we do a plethora of things for our designers across across the business. So so my particular uh, role is leading and and designing and 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 just creating a variety of of learning events and programs for for our designers. And then I also get to participate in a number of initiatives, such as our racial equity and design initiative. There's some guilds and and other in, internal groups that I participate in as well. And I happen to know you're awesome in that role. And so I want to also just mention that you didn't start off life intending to do that role, right? So tell us a little about you and about your educational journey. Did you pick up interesting insights along that journey? Tell us a little bit about your education journey. My journey has been an interesting one. It's been a long, strange trip. So I grew up in Washington State, a little bit south of Seattle. For me, I had a really hard time for a long time, like really focusing in on what it was that I wanted to do. You know, I'm just a really naturally curious person. And I had parents who fed into that. They encouraged us to, as kids, I, I have two older brothers and a younger sister, and they like just encouraged us to be creative, you know, explore our our curiosities. And so I, I've always just kind of been that person. So I've, I've kind of run the gamut with things I wanted to do. You know, I like at one point wanted to be like an environmental warrior and, you know, and at one point I wanted to be a psychologist and what, you know, I, so I've, I've just been all over the place. And over time, you know, when I, when I landed in school, I, I was going to a private school in Washington state and started out in a, wanting to be a psych major. I won't get into the whole thing. But then it was like, everybody's majoring in psychology. I don't want to do that. You know, so then I was like, let me let me look around and see something else. And so, so that, so that was sort of the beginning of that educational journey. And then um, a couple of years in, you know, long story short, I, I left school, and I just was kind of hanging out. And I was, you know, at my parents and kind of in this sort of in between place and decided at that point, you know, now is a good time to like go out and, and explore the world and go see what's going on. And, and so I, I relocated out of Washington state and, and moved to Minnesota and, and had, you know, I had some friends that lived out there and had an opportunity to do some things differently. And, 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 it, and it was really neat, you know, I was taking classes and I was, I was doing some things, but still kind of in that process of discovery. So, like I said, it just, it just took me a while to really settle down and to really kind of lean into what it was that I, that I wanted to do, but then, you know, life circumstances happen, right? So when I moved to Minnesota, I, I met my first husband, got married and I just like settled down into, into, you know, young married life and just started and started working. But that experience is where I got my initial introduction into design. And that's where I really started to hone in and realize that I had like this knack and this skill and this passion for for this this thing called design. And then after you got that interest, how did you further develop your your knowledge and skill in design? I was really fortunate. So I was working for a, a nonprofit company and they hired me on as the administrative assistant. And part of part of my role there was to create all of the, the flyers and um, and booklets and any printed materials and, and things. And this and this was a while ago. So, you know, I I I just had a knack for computers. So I just I picked up the skill very quickly. But they also like gave me a lot of creative freedom. Like they, they didn't 
you know, they weren't giving me any like real direction on, you know, what what it is that the design needs to be. So I really got to experiment and I had like really uh, great, I would say like mentors and teachers. I had like printers and and folks who were sort of a design industry adjacent that were, were really there and helpful for me and and helping me sort of um, develop that skill and that path. And so I, you know, I had a good eye, you know, I, like I said, I picked up the computer skills very quickly and, and just had a lot of fun just like having like this blank canvas and being able to dive in and create and so that was my that was my first foray into into design. <laughs> but did you not also then go and explore this in uh, a design education program? I did, I did. So that that came a, that came a little bit later. So so I worked for the nonprofit, and then a little bit later on, when I moved back to Washington State, that's when I was like, yes, this is this is the way I want to go. I want to go to art school, and I absolutely loved art school. Art school was an amazing experience. You know, it was, it was challenging. It was, it was painful. Um, you know, it was all the things that you would expect out of art school, but it really helped me focus, mature my craft. It helped me focus on what it is I wanted to do in design, which was, I really got into the storytelling behind it. I always had this knack for anything I created. I had a story behind it. Like it always had something in the background that was like this undercurrent of of what it was that I was visually producing. And so that experience helped me really hone in on that storytelling piece. So then you did one, at least one other educational pivot from design and tell us about that one. And then, then we'll move on to talk to Herman too. Yes. So I actually, I actually had two educational okay. <laughs> pivots. So, so the first was, um, so after art school, worked for a while and I starting this dive into project management and kind of more business focused roles. And I had a real project management was another thing I just discovered. I had a real knack for, I was just very organized. I had great time management skills. I was really good at at putting, you know, hard corners around projects and, and things. So, so I had decided that it was time to kind of dive into that a little bit. So I, got a master's degree in in project management and then a little bit later on down the road I got another master's degree in business leadership fascinating educational journey and uh, just to reinforce we're not even talking about kind of the the formal work experience yet either even though you had some experiences that inspired your different educational pivots as well but fascinating all right let's bring Herman into the discussion and Herman I think you also have some quotes that you want to share with us yeah, hi. Thanks, Carl. And thanks again for having me. Um, my quotes are actually all from one person, the late great Maya Angelou. And uh she said so many great things. So I just thought I'd pick a few and they really resonate with me. So um the first I'd start with is do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. Right. So that re- resonates with how my career grew. Her other quote is uh, my mission in life is not merely to survive, but to thrive and to do so with some passion, some compassion, some humor and some style. And most importantly, that's relevant right now uh, for our discussion is that 
We delight in the beauty of the butterfly, but rarely admit the changes it's gone through to achieve that beauty. Those are awesome and so insightful. Thank you so much for sharing those with us as well. So we went through Renee's educational journey. Same questions for you, starting with, you know, what is your current role? Tell us a little bit about that. And then let's just dig into your education journey as well. Sure. So the simple title is uh, I'm a design principal with IBM Quantum. And I'm responsible actually for the design of our premium quantum partner experience. And, and so this is really core and keen on my design superpowers, which are, are uh, user experience and aka UX design, as well as UX research. And uh, however, the superpower that I needed to employ in this particular case was and develop for this role uh, was service design. So the premium or we call it white glove experience we provide to most of our invested clients. It not only relies on how we interact with the clients themselves at our business touch points, but and also how they interact with our technologies. But most importantly, and most importantly to recognize is that their experience is also impacted by our own internal ecosystems at IBM in quantum and the technologies that support our own employees and the interactions that our own employees have with each other that spews over into the into the client experience so much like the interactable problems we find in the domain of quantum computing i enjoy the complexity and interactability of human centered ecosystems and the human experience tell us a little bit about your your educational journey as well and, and maybe even where you where you yeah. where you're born where you grew up that kind of thing I think I have to give you some background on where uh, on where I was born and 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 how I grew up, which kind of leads to my educational okay. track. So uh, I was born and raised in the area of Toronto, Canada, uh, and it's an area that's that's known as Parkdale. My mother had just emigrated from Jamaica, and months later I was born, and then my father emigrated from Jamaica soon after my birth, and I grew up with my two younger sisters. We lived in a two-bedroom apartment with my parents until I was about 12 years of age. And when my parents had worked very hard and finally saved up enough, they bought a house in what at the time was a very newly developing town of Markham. Uh, and that's on the outskirts of the greater Toronto area. And somewhat escaping some of the what they might have seen as negativity and opportunity for trouble that sometimes is uh, prevalent within the inner city living that we were experiencing, but also entering into a world of the unfamiliar where dangers are somewhat less known, but, but you know, the apparent safety and opportunity to own a home that they could afford and have a bit more control over their lives, that, that was more attractive than anything else. So me, myself, I was always interested in playing sports growing up, like basketball, track and field. I won medals and championships in the Toronto area. Uh, however, like many migrant families, my parents actually emphasized education over the, their support for my my athletic accomplishments. So Renee and I had a bit of a different background and upbringing. So being being displaced now from Parkdale, I think our move to Markham prompted me to place more focus on my academics. And I had not found so much of the diversity of my childhood culture reflected in my new school and my community. Uh, so it was sports that became my my new social anchor as well as academics and my my way of relating to my new predominantly white neighborhood. So I always was interested in maths and sciences and I tended to excel even uh, more now that I was focused at a new school and in a strange place. And often when I was alone in my room, I would, before I actually made my friends, um, I used to dream up ideas and doodle sketches and dive into my collection of science fiction comics. 
And, and eventually, as I neared graduation, I began to uh, consider professions. And it was during a conversation that my mother actually had with me, I was prompted to pursue studies in engineering. I had heard of the profession before, but um, neither my parents nor I were familiar with any of the aspects of engineering until it was actually a colleague of my mother's. They had commented on my academic achievements and suggested that I look into the field, and that's exactly what I ended up doing. And then after you went into engineering, you also did some additional pivots, as I recall, as well, in terms of education. Yeah, my pivots actually uh, occurred during my schooling. So I completed my bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering at the University of Waterloo, which is a, an excellent program. And more so, I valued the experience in the co-op program best because it it not only informed me as to the possibilities of what I could do as a mechanical engineer, but it also exposed me to what I enjoyed and what I wasn't so interested in doing. So upon graduation, I, t- I looked at the job market. Most of the roles available were positions that I had already known were not of interest to me. And I'd already started gearing my studies in my later undergrad years to focus more on how I might combine my interest in engineering with interest in human behavior and performance. I call it my athletic persona proven back in. And I took more courses actually in kinesiology, biomedical sciences, and psychology. So that's where the pivot started a little bit. I became interested in ergonomics, which relates the mechanics of the body to our working environments, right? Sounds familiar. And that's uh, when I came across the field of cognitive ergonomics and human factors. So really what we're looking at with those two items, it's four primary goals for, for, for human factors learning are to reduce human error, increase productivity, enhance safety and system availability. And furthermore, look for the comfort with specific focus on the interaction between the human and the engineered system. So the human machine system. So that's where kind of design sits, right? And I considered the programs actually that I wanted to go into at Loughborough University in the UK and, and the one at University of Toronto, which, which I both applied to for my master's program. And then I elected to the program with uh, Professor Paul Milgram at the University of Toronto. His research was actually in telerobotics 3D stereopsis, virtualization, augmented reality, all things that are coming up today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that clicked with my desires uh, of uh, of my science fiction heart, I call it. And while I was in that program, Professor Milgram and I had authored several papers and a book chapter that I explored the intersection between the perception in an augmented world. So that's kind of having uh, models and computer graphics overlaid or in placed over what you see in the real world and the control of a virtual robot or avatar. And uh, in our case, it was uh, I was a backhoe because our, our sponsor was Syncrude in, in Edmonton, the, the mining company. And uh, we used, we we dubbed actually the concept of a dynamic tether. And in fact, it's it's an effect you see in video games. It's where the, the camera that you're looking at, you're using to look at the avatar that you're controlling is either looking through the eyes of the, of the avatar which is what we call a, an egocentric viewpoint or behind the avatar. So you can see them move and interact with their environment. And we call that an exocentric viewpoint. So human-centered aspects, which was key on design, right? Where the dynamics of the system, the situational awareness of the operator and, and, and errors and whatnot, and the human performance of that area, then at that operator themselves. And that could vary with both the that the distance between the camera and the avatar and the uh, and and how dynamically it responded to like velocities, speeds, and accelerations. Basically, you both have had such 
a fascinating educational journey. I think we've already learned so much from both of you. Let me also just ask you, before we get into talking about your work trajectory, can also talk a little bit about that in a minute. I wanted to just cycle back to you, Renee, and then after that, over, over to you, Herman. When you reflect on your educational journey, and you think about people that are listening to this that are struggling with their own challenges, and students tell me all the time, like you said, Renee, that what don't know really know what we're going to work on and where I want to go. And they feel really bad about the fact that they haven't landed like this, the particular career that they want to pursue. What kind of reflection do you have on your educational journey that you would also provide as sort of insight and advice for somebody that's just starting out that might be like you were when you were in those early years? What advice might you give? Yeah, great question, Carl. I would say it's okay to not know. <laughs> it's okay to experiment. It's okay to to test and, you know, dip that toe in the water, <laughs> see if it's warm or if it's too cold and step back, you know, to what Herman was saying. I think what I appreciate about my personal journey is that even though it took me a while to get where it is that I wanted to go, I know that this is where I'm supposed to be because I've had that experience and that time and that 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 time with myself and my own personal growth to have that correspond with my educational journey. So, you know, when those two came together, I think that's that's where I really started to like figure out, okay, this is the track that I want to get on with a career, quote unquote, right? As I saw those two things coming together, it really, for me, just helped make sense of where it is I wanted to go. And and it's made my personal career journey very fulfilling. Because as I mentioned, this this is the space that I'm in right now is, is exactly the space that I know where I want to be. And it, and if it wasn't for me trying out those other things, you know, giving things a, a try and stepping back and knowing what I didn't know and taking that and, <laughs> you know, those, those experiences, just and moving away from those experiences that, that were not personally fulfilling. I think if I, if I hadn't had that time and that opportunity, I'd be in a completely different space. So my advice for folks would be to take your time, learn what feels good inside, what feels good to you. And, and it's okay. It's okay. It doesn't have to be today, but when you, when you get it right, you you'll know, you'll know you got it right. Excellent advice. Uh, Herman, same question to you. Yeah, I mean, it's along the same lines as Renee was was expressing, but I realized through uh, that experience that it's it's really that crooked path that we take. It's 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 so important to to find your way into what you want to do in life. It, some of us are blessed to know from a young age exactly what we want to do for a living. Others like me uh, may not have been in that position, had the knowledge or the exposure or had the networks to have any idea of what we indeed have a passion for or if it even exists. And furthermore, how to articulate it. We may never have been exposed to the language to describe it, right? So how do we talk about it and how do we know what to ask for? If we can't speak about it, 
how do we see ourselves somewhere outside the realm of our imagination, which is often bound by our own lexicon? The one thing that I would want to add to what both of you said is, and what you've said is spot on, and that is to experiment with it. What you said, Renee, actually go and try it. But even before you do that, talk to somebody that's in that role, have a conversation with them, what's really good about it, what's not. I have people coming to me that have completed a whole degree and then found out when they started to work in that area that, oh, this really wasn't what they thought it was going to be sort of thing, right? Well, some of the time you could actually get that insight before you actually do a four-year degree and then try it and the like as well, right? So all of it still comes down to what both of you have been saying, and that is that this really needs to jive with things that you really enjoy doing and also the aptitudes that you have. And some of the time you don't know that. And the other one I would add, I think both of you have had amazing parents from, I know both of you reasonably well. I know other people are essentially forced by their parents to go into a particular you know career direction that they themselves aren't really wanting to go into. And it may take them, I know there's one person in particular that it took three degrees before finally getting into the field that he really wanted to get into, right? And so, um, and I think the other thing I want to reinforce by observing the two of you is that it's also the case that every pivot you make also contributes to who you become as a person and as a professional. And again, observing both of your careers, I can also see that each of the things that you've done in your past has had direct impact on the kind of leaders that you are today in your field. So, but let's get into a little bit of discussion of what you're doing with regard to your career journey, you know, as well. You want to add something to what I was saying? What I was going to say was, Carl, just to, just to kind of pull on a thread of something that you were saying was, which was, um, you know, having the opportunity to, to talk to people. Yes. I know that like when I was coming up, it was a different era <laughs> and we, we did not have the internet, but that's the beauty of the internet, right? Like I think people have the ability to gain access to people that maybe like I was coming up in my career, like those types of things weren't always available to me. So, but yes, I, I wanted to just kind of yes. And what you were saying about, about talking to folks and, and really kind of taking advantage of the, the technology out there that's available to folks that enable that, you know, you don't have to feel like you don't have those connections, those networks, you can build those connections and networks in a whole manner of, of different ways. Yeah. And I, and I'd add to that, um, the fact that, you know, yes, technology is definitely an enabler now that I may, may not have access to early on in my career as well. But I want us to also recognize that there is this network that maybe some of us don't have access to, and it might be because of technology, or it might be because uh, my parents are, they're amazing. I love them. Yes. But uh, my, my community, my culture only goes so far, can carry me so far in terms of what my network is and, and what they know. So the people who I would go to to ask questions and yes, my parents are those who would be like, why don't you be a doctor? Why don't you be an engineer? And I became an engineer, right? So there was a certain scope of professions that we were exposed to as children. So we already knew we were kind of going to be in one of these realms or another. And it's a narrow focus, but that's not any fault of their own. It's because of our, our culture, our upbringing, where we come from. And so I think that we shouldn't underestimate that while there's value in broadening your own network. Some of us may not know how to because of our culture and who we interact with. 
And so going outside of your own community to expand your networks might be more daunting than some would think. You both have fascinating stories. I want to thank you for sharing them with the audience and the kind of insights that you've provided them too, in terms of how they might be able to relate what you've said to what it is that they're doing. There's so much more that we want to talk about. So we will wrap this particular episode at this point, and we will schedule a follow-on session because there's some really fascinating other topics that we're going to get into as well that we didn't really have time for. So I want to thank Renee and Herman so dearly for sharing your information thus far. I want to thank everybody that's listening to this podcast as well and your interest in improving yourselves and leveling up your own work, and in this case, your career and education as well. And we will talk to you next time, and bye for now.